sides that are kind of pitting against each other. That's the message that we need to hear uh, is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' words are never more true than they are right now. And I believe that the world needs to hear it from the church. It needs to hear it from you and I. And it needs to hear it from people who proclaim to love Jesus. Our biggest and most important message that we have is the message of love. A message of how much Jesus loves us. Uh, today we're going to look at something a little different, kind of out of the norm for what we've been looking at through Romans. It's going to kind of take a turn that you're going to see immediately as we dive into this. That's, that's unlike anything else that we've read. And So if you've got your Bible already open, Romans chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 14. Beginning of 15, it kind of starts talking about how we who are, are strong in our faith should be looking out for those who are weak. And then in verse 14, he says this. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. This is the change of gears, okay? We have kind of been, uh, everything up until this point has been very in-your-face uh, from Paul. He's, he's kind of just basically challenged to either live it or don't. Um, he says that because... Uh, we are all under the law. Uh, we have to let love be our motivating factor um, because sin separates us. He just basically says, stop sinning. And, and, and when your life is hard sometimes, there's a reason behind it because uh, God's trying to produce something in you. And, and everything up until this point has been so almost like hitting us as hard as he can. He comes in here and says, I'm convinced that you're full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct each other. He's kind of just basically saying, guys, listen, you can do this. This is not beyond you. All this hard things that I've been throwing at you for the last 14 chapters is, is not beyond your, your scope or your ability to perform. You can do all these things that I've pointed you to. And he's, he uses a couple of different phrases that I think are important. He says that you are full of goodness. That word full of goodness is a Greek word that's only it's, it's not used any other, it's only used four other times in Scripture. Four other times. You know what it means? It means that you have a good heart. I, I, I believe that most everybody in this room, regardless of your past or regardless of your actions or regardless of how your morning has been this morning, I'm convinced that you mean well, that you're not malicious people, that you're, you're not out to disappoint anyone, and I'd even go as far to say that you're not out to disappoint God. When it comes down to it, you're a good, this is the phrase that I learned when we moved here, you're good people, right? I've talked about that before. I've never heard that phrase until I moved to South Arkansas. You're good people. Because the reality is, is that we know what God wants from our life, and I think on some level, maybe some more than others if we're real honest, we want to please Him. We want to live a life that is God-honoring, that does please God on some level. The reality is, is that some of us want this more than others do. Some of us want this a whole lot, and some of us just want to skate by. Paul says, you're full of goodness, complete in knowledge. And one of the commentators that I read wrote this. He said, no doubt the apostle had really much to teach his readers, he does not say that he had not, but he courteously gives them credit for all that they knew. Listen, church, you know this stuff. 
Everything that we talk about in here, although maybe a new perspective on your life or it may be kind of a new direction for you to kind of see things, it's, it's things that you already know. Nobody left the church last week going, you know, Matt is incredible. Well, you may have left saying that. But you didn't say that whole love your neighbor stuff. I, I just don't know where he gets that. He is such a good preacher. I just, I've, I've never even thought of loving my neighbor, right? We know this stuff. We know everything, and I'm just going to let the rabbit out of the hat here. Everything that I say on a Sunday morning, 99% of it, 99% of the things that Dustin teaches on a Wednesday night, you guys know. You know what you're supposed to do. You're full of knowledge. The question is, are you going to do anything about it? We know when our actions line up with what God's Word says that we should live our lives by, and here's the hard part, we know when our actions don't line up with what God's Word says about how we're supposed to live our lives. And you know, I, I set out uh, this week to really preach this really encouraging, kind of like, we're going to lift you up. The, the women are kind of, a lot of our women are scattered, and, and I, I was hoping that we do have a lot of men here whose wives are gone, and and, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to come in, I'm just going to encourage them, it's going to be short and sweet, I'm just going to kind of come in and I'm going to really just, I'm just going to edify the church and I'm going to push them out and kind of give them this big hurrah that you can do it. And, and God just said, hang on just a second. Just because Paul isn't hitting them in the face doesn't mean that you can't. And so if you'll just bear with me, I'm going to say some hard things. The problem that I see with our church and the church, universal church in general, is this. You know what the Bible says. You know it. You've been taught it since you were a child. You were raised in church, and your grandma went to church, and your great-grandma went to church, and your mama went to church, and you went to church, and now here you are as an adult, and you know all these stories. And you know what the Old Testament stories are. And you may not know all the ins and outs of the Old Testament. You may not know all the kind of places and how everything lines out in the New Testament. But you have a pretty good general knowledge of the Scripture. The problem is, is you don't care. You don't live like it has anything to do with your real life. You, you choose not to live what the Scripture says and how the scripture says we should live. Here's the problem that I have, and, and, and I, I hope you hear what I'm about to say, because we have 60 ladies, around 60 ladies, who have experienced God on a level that maybe they have not experienced Him on a long, long time. And that, that has a lot to say about um, the preparation that went into this, but it has even more to say about what God did in, uh, in Ozark Mountain Conference Center. Uh, this last three days, where they, they encountered God and they heard and they, they, they experienced Him together on a level that is just ridiculous. Every time I talked to Jessica, she was just talking about how the worship was just incredible, how they, they would just have this focused time of prayer and how women would begin to share and, and their lives were opening up. And she told me on Friday night, she said, Matt, there's a lot of women that are on the edge. There's a lot of women that just, they, all they need is just to take that next step. And then I talked to her on Saturday. She's like, Matt, people are taking the step. God, God's doing incredible things. They're, they're just really changing lives. I've got women who are wanting to talk and all this kind of stuff about how life is going to change. And we've got all these women who are going to come back home to husbands and men in their life who do not care, who are not providing any type of leadership in their home, 
who are not providing any type of spiritual leadership for their family, who are acting like they are still in high school, like they are still children, who are going out and getting drunk and think it's funny, who are living their life and laughing at things that they should be appalled by, and who are acting like church is a joke. They, got, they have wives who are coming home who are literally going to be drowning and not being able to connect dots in their lives because they don't have a husband who's going to lift them up and who's going to live it with them. They don't have a man in their life who's going to come back and say, you know what, I know what God's doing there, and I've been not pulling my weight, and so let me step into a leadership position. Let me be the spiritual leader that I'm supposed to be. Let me be the man that God's created me to be because you can't be the lady that God's created you to be until I'm the man that God's created me to be. The problem that we have, church, is we have all these ladies who are on fire for God, and they're going to come home, and their husbands are going to snuff them out because we're not living it, because we don't care. Because we act like this is a joke and it's optional. And because we know all this stuff and we say, well, I can do all this because I know that I'm saved. I know that when I was a teenager, when I was 20 years old, or when I was a, when I was a, a kindergartner, I got saved. And I can live life however I want to because it doesn't matter. It's just, it's okay. And listen, girls, you're not out of the hook either just because you didn't go on this retreat. I know there's a lot of you that couldn't, schedules couldn't do it or you just couldn't make it work and maybe just retreats aren't your thing and that's okay. And... The reality is that some of you ladies are still living the same way as your husbands are. You, you do whatever you want to do. You act however you want to act. And you think it's okay because it's going to be a funny story to tell next weekend. And the reality is that our lives don't line up with what the Word of God says. And we play at it like it's a joke. And we've got all this knowledge. And we do absolutely nothing with it. I, I'm excited about the ladies returning and I'm scared about what this next week's going to hold I'm excited for all that God's done in their life I'm afraid for what their families are going to look like this week because when, when people are on, on a level with God, a spiritual level with God that they haven't experienced in a long time and they come back home to just junk, guess what the devil wants to do, he wants to attack and attack and attack if you've been praying for these ladies who have been gone, then you need to continue to pray for them this next week because this next week's going to be hell for them. It's going to be awful. And let me tell you, men, and I'm speaking to myself just as much as I am you, if you've got a wife that's coming back, you better step up your game. You better live like God's called you to live. And if it means you change some things in your house, then you better start changing them. If it means for the first time you take some leadership in your house, then you better take it. And when we have the the responsibility as men as we have that God's placed on us and we start living it out and guess what happens? Families change. Directions change. Fights don't matter anymore. You begin to pray together. You begin to live life together. You begin to see yourself as a team that can work together and you begin to take the leadership role in your family that God's ordained you to have and when you do that, God's going to do something in your life. And it's scary. It's hard. Maybe you're, maybe you're not kind of you like to kind of lean back and maybe maybe your wife kind of helps do things more than what maybe then quote unquote they should but but maybe it's time for you just to step up and say you know what I, I need to take a leadership role here I need to do some more I need to I need to lead our family the way I'm supposed to we're going to sit together and we're going to pray together and it's going to feel awkward at first and it's going to be weird but we're going to do it but six months from now this is going to be what we rely on this is what's going to get us through I'm going to I'm going to set the precedence that on Sunday mornings church is not optional anymore 
the question when we go to bed on Saturday night is, are we gonna, is not, are we going to go to church tomorrow night or tomorrow? It's, what time are we leaving for church tomorrow? The question no longer is, are we going to be involved in this? It's, what time are we going to be there? It's, it's no longer, are we going to do this? It's, it's these things optional. It's now we're going to do this, and we're going to do it together, so let's do it. Let's, let's buckle up. Let's do what we're supposed to do, and let's live the life we're supposed to live because we have all this knowledge. We know what God wants for us to do. We, we understand what he's got for our life, but we just really don't care. And it's time to change from all that head knowledge about Christ and let it begin to be heart knowledge of what Christ has really done for us. And when we do that, when we recognize the gravity of the situation of, of our smallness and God's bigness, and we say, what else can we do? How can I not be the spiritual leader in my family? How can I not do the things that God's called me to do? How can I take all this knowledge that I know that God has? And say, no, I don't need that. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live life like I want to live it. I'm going to, I'm going to be who I want to be. And I don't really care, God, what you have for me. How could we do that? Paul says, you're full of goodness. Really, you're, you're, deep, you're, good, you're a good person. You have all this knowledge. <coughs> And he says, you're competent to instruct one another. There's one thing I could say over and over and over again is that you can do this. You're competent. I don't know if I can lead my family like that. You're competent. You can do it. I don't know if I can, oh, that's going to be such a big change. I don't know if, 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 if I don't know how my kids are going to react or I don't know how my coworkers are going to react. I don't know how my spouse is going to react. If I begin to really live this, you can do this. You're competent. Not only are you competent, but you're competent to instruct each other. Here's what I hear nine times out of ten. is people come up to me and they have questions about their faith and they're saying, Matt, can you explain this to me? Or I don't understand what he means here. And I don't understand what's going on here. Can you just show me a little bit of what this means? And I tell them, they go, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Because we've raised generations of infants in Christ where we don't have the authority to say, I know this is what the Word of God says because I've studied it and I've, I've, I've figured it out and I've prayed and God's revealed Himself to me. Instead, we have to go to people and say, is this what it means? Well, that's kind of what I thought it means. I just wasn't sure. And we mouse down. When God says, listen, you're, you're competent. You can do this. How many times have people come to me and said, Matt, I need you to come talk to my, my kid or my wife or we need to sit down and talk because somebody needs to get saved. And I look at them and you know what I tell them? Lead them through it. You can do it. You don't have to have the preacher there to get saved. Teenagers come to their parents all the time, and the parents freak out. Oh, my kid's asking me questions. I don't know how to answer them. Yes, you do. You have all this knowledge. You just haven't applied it. So begin to apply it and show your kid that you're the spiritual leader in your family. Step up to the plate and go, you know what, I can help you through that. Because 99.9% .9 of the time, you're not going to do something that's contrary to the gospel. I have to experience that. Let me just be honest. There been somebody that's called me and said, I said this. Is that right? I go, no, that is not right. You should never say that again. But that rarely ever, ever happens. You're competent. You have all this knowledge. You're, you're, you have this goodness because God lives in your heart. You really are saved. God is there and you have all this knowledge. It's now time to start really living it out. And you're competent to instruct. You can do it. You can, you can lead people. You can, you can make decisions. You can, you can look at the Word and you can figure it out. And you can say, you know what, God, this is what I believe you're telling me to do and this is what I'm going to do. And you know what Scripture says, so if you know that you're feeling something that's contrary to Scripture, that's not God-breathed. If you say, okay, God says, 
love to owe nothing but the debt of love to anybody, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna not really owe, I'm just gonna stop paying all my bills. Because it says not to owe anything, so I owe these people, I'm just not gonna pay it. That's not what scripture says. You're smart enough to figure it out. You know. It's just time to step up and actually do it. And Paul is trying to tell us here, listen, you're full of goodness and knowledge and competent to instruct each other. You can do this. Stop acting like you can't. Stop acting like living out the gospel is that hard. Because it's not. Do it. Put aside the childish things that you did and begin to live life under God's instruction. It's not that hard. Keep reading verse 15. He says, I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I love Paul's words here. He says, you know, I've, I've written you quite boldly on some things, you think? You read through Romans, and you read through the, even the series that we preached through in here. You think some of the things he said are quite bold? When he says in chapter 1 that we exchange the truth of God for a lie, in chapter 6 we, we continue to excuse our sin so that grace may increase. In chapter 7 he identifies our sin issue and says, by doing all the things that we don't want to do, we neglect to do the things that we should be doing. And then he finally challenges us in chapter 12 to overcome evil with good. He's going to hit us in the face over and over and over and over again. And he goes, yeah, I've written you kind of boldly. And everybody who's reading this in Rome is going, yeah, you think? There's a lot to unpack. Can you imagine just getting this letter in the mail and, and reading through it and going, oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, my gosh. Holy cow, this is even bigger than, oh, wow. Turn, did you read this part over here? Oh, my. And, and you're just on and on and on. And you go, and finally get down to chapter 15. He goes, I've written you kind of boldly. And everybody's going, yeah. Yeah, this has totally wrecked our world. This has totally changed everything for us. We've got to really learn to adapt and learn to live this out now. This is, this is a challenge on so many levels. But I love that he says he wrote boldly because of the grace that God's given him. Remember, he says, listen, this is not coming from a holier-than-now perspective. I'm not standing up on a soapbox up here saying you've got to do all this stuff because I've got it all figured out and I'm the best ever. Paul's saying, listen, I'm the chief among sinners. I've walked your road. I've, I've figured out these things, and I've learned some of them the hard way. He says, he says I can say all these things because I've experienced what grace is really about. And man, let me tell you, if I, can, if I can keep you from doing some mistakes that I made, then let me, let me write some bold things to you. Listen, if we could do anything as a church, if I could challenge some of you to do anything as a church, just some of you have walked through paths are so hard and difficult and God has seen you through it and you can look back and you can say wow look what God did here and here and here and here and now I get to stand and what most of us do when we get through that we go Whew. thanks God I hope I never have to do that again and we keep it all in here and we don't share with people and we see people who are who are going down the same road that we went down and we go oh gosh that's going to be really bad for them I hope they figure it out real soon and we just stay quiet we don't say anything because we think that if we come up to that person and say, listen, hey, hey, I've seen what kind of the direction you're going, and I've seen the, the way that you're walking here, and I, I, listen, I've done that before. I'm not telling you that you're an awful person. I did it too, but let me tell you the things that I learned, and I learned them the hard way. 
If you read through Proverbs, I love the book of Proverbs. This is Solomon's book of wisdom, and it, it has so much good stuff. I call it uh, the, the kind of fortune cookie of the Bible because there's these little, these little snippets of sayings, three or four lines long, that are just so good. And if you go to chapter 7 of, of Proverbs and you read this story, and it says that Solomon's looking out his window, and he sees this kid walking down the path, and it says a path to destruction. And he says that he's going to her house. He knows exactly where he's going. Y'all remember that story where she gets there and she says, my husband's out of town and I have enough sin offering to atone for what we're going to do this weekend. She says, come to bed with me. And this young man follows her and he's thinking that his whole world is about to be uh, fulfilled, that everything's great and that the, that the anthem of his life is this, is, is this kind of rock song. And, and the whole time Solomon's sitting back and he says, She's being, he's being led like an ox to slaughter. Like... Uh, a, a bird in a snare. He was going to a trap and he doesn't even know it. Why? Because Solomon can step back and he can see where people are walking and he says, I don't want this person to go down this path anymore. We, church, have experienced things in our lives that we can step back and see people walking down those same paths and it's our responsibility to step out and say, listen, because of the grace that's been given me, let me say something to you. And I'm going to say it and it's going to sound bold and it's going to sound harsh and trust me, that's not my heart and that's not my spirit. I want you to not experience the heartache and the pain and the aftermath of sin that I experienced. Let me tell you what happened to me. That is what we're supposed to do with each other, church. That is living out our faith. That is being accountable to each other and really understanding what grace is and how grace communicates to each other. And then he finishes that thought with a kind of a really kind of a strange thought. He says, uh, because of the grace that's given to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. That Greek word priestly duty is not used anywhere else in scripture. It's not it's the only time it's ever used. What's the duty of a priest? If you know your Old Testament, the priest's main responsibility is to offer the sacrifice. That was his job. We know that uh, if we go back Old Testament, we know that the temple was built by Solomon, right? Uh, that, that King David's son, King David really wanted to build the temple, but it, God said, no, it's not going to be you, it's going to be your son. So Solomon rises up, Solomon gets to build the temple, and he builds this incredible temple. You can read through it in the Old Testament. And, and it gives all the things that's just, it's just ornate, and it's incredible, and you just think, this is the house of God. And they took such care and meticulous pride in building the temple. And then we know that... Uh, when the, the Jews got exiled, when Israel got exiled out um, a few years later, uh, that, the, that the conquering army comes in and they, they destroy the temple, right? They, they tear it down and, and because they wanted to remove all signs of the God of that country because they came in to take over. And then after the exile, when, when, the, when the Israelites get to come back, they rebuild the temple, right? They, they have, we talked about that last Sunday night with the Cyrus decree and and how the king of Persia allowed them to come back into their own land, and, and when they did that, they rebuilt. Tonight, we're going to look at Nehemiah, and we're going to look about how they, how they began to rebuild Jerusalem and some of the things that were going on there. And, uh, and so the, the, the temple was rebuilt. And then, strangely enough, uh, with our story here this morning, in 70 A.D., the Romans come in and conquer, and they destroy the temple again. And, and if you read through your Old Testament, I believe it's in 1 Kings, maybe 2 Kings, there's a little bit of warning about offering sacrifices. And, and it says the only place you're supposed to offer a sacrifice is at the temple. And if you can't come to the temple, then it says then pray, and God will hear you. 
right? And so to the Jews, when, the, when there's no temple, that means there's no sacrifice. Well, when the Rome, Romans come in and they completely destroy the temple again in 70 AD, then we know that the Jews stopped offering sacrifice at that moment. The Christians were who, who were alive stopped offering sacrifices after Jesus died on the cross because they recognized that he was the greatest sacrifice ever. Right? That we don't have to sacrifice anymore because he paid the, the penalty for our sin once and for all. There's no need for this sacrificial system to continue. And here he says, this is my priestly duty. And so I go, well, what, if, if the priest's responsibility is to oversee the sacrifice, but we don't sacrifice anymore, what is he talking about? I believe he's referencing back to Romans 12. You all know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Paul, and our, really, priestly duty is to proclaim the gospel of God by leading people to lay down their lives and be living sacrifices for God. That's his priestly duty, and that's our priestly duty. It's our responsibility to lead people into that relationship, into that knowledge, into that understanding of God, to say, you know what, what I want for my life doesn't matter. I'm here to be a living sacrifice. I'm here to get rid of everything that is about me and to take on everything that is about God. I'm going to live out my sacrifice. I'm going to be a living sacrifice for him. Our one job, our one responsibility, the one thing that Jesus tasked us with before he left was go and make disciples. Go and point people to Jesus. Go and tell people what it really means to lay down your life and to pick up his cross. To go and let people know what it means to live out this salvation that we have all this head knowledge of. It's our job to point people that direction. It's our priestly duty. And I know that some of you are thinking, Matt, you're the pastor. That's your priestly duty. That's your job to do that. And to that I say, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen, church. You are a royal priesthood. It is as much your responsibility as is mine. Listen, the contact that I have weekly, the contact with people that I encounter weekly are 95% church people. 95% of the people that we as your staff see on a week-to-week basis, our church members are good Christian folks. And maybe not even church members here, but maybe church members somewhere else where we're meeting with people and talking about ministry things and, and having kind of encouragement meetings and all that kind of stuff. It may be that. But 95% of the people that we encounter are church people. I would be willing to bet that 95% of the people that you encounter on your jobs and in your normal everyday life are not church people. Are people that you have the opportunity, the priestly duty, to point them to Jesus, that it's, it's been tasked to all of us, not just the pastors, not just the church staff, but each and every one of us. And then at the end of verse 16, he says this, 
so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This, this sanctified or this made holy process is for us by the Holy Spirit. It goes back to the sacrifices again. The sacrifices they used to make in the Old Testament were prepared or they were made fit or made right to be an offering among the Jews. And they would do that by uh, either salt or oil or frankincense. They would use some frankincense sometimes to, to kind of to, to, to get the offering ready, quote unquote. And all that's kind of laid out in Leviticus if you want to read it. It's really exciting reading in Leviticus sometimes, but it's really neat and interesting to see how they would prepare the sacrifice. Depending on what sacrifice time it was would depend on what uh, things you needed to prepare. Sometimes it was salt, sometimes it was oil. And then I read this commentary, Barnes Notes, says this, an allusion to this, the apostle says, talking about Paul, that the offering of the Gentiles was rendered holy or fit to be offered by the converting and the purifying influences of the Holy Spirit. He said they were prepared not by salt or frankincense, but by the cleansing influences of God's Spirit. How incredible is that? That our lives are not, are not good on their own, but that the Holy Spirit comes in and He prepares us to be that offering to God. That He's the one who, who anoints us with oil or or rubs salt in it, or, or, or covers us with frankincense. He's the one who says, I'm going to make you acceptable to God. I'm going to make you um, sanctified for Him because, uh, because of the work that I'm going to do in your life. Listen, the only way that we are made right and acceptable to Him is by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. If when we die to ourselves and, and the Spirit comes in and makes us alive and as saved individuals, then when we sin and we do things contrary to what God wants, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us, right? He's the one who draws us back to the truth of what God says. When we offer a part of our lives to Him, a part that maybe we've held on to for a long, long time, it's the Holy Spirit that makes that part acceptable to God. He takes that and He comes in and He's our intercessor, right? He comes in between us and He, he allows what we offer up to God to be pleasing and acceptable to Him. It's through the Holy Spirit that we're able to do anything that pleases God. But the, the hook is that you have to have Him. Is that we can't just continue to live life on our own and just do all the things that we want to do. That we, we, we can go to a certain point, right? We can go to a certain point that we can't, we can't please Him fully. We can't do anything beyond that because we don't have Him to make it happen. And then we come to a point of salvation and we go, okay, God, I need you. I need you to come in. I need you to, to work in me. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, let me, let me come in and do some work. And he makes us sanctified. He sanctifies us for him. He sets us apart. He, he does the work to make us pleasing to God. This is incredible. So the question, as we wrap everything up today, is, yes, we're, we're fairly good people. And yes, we have all this knowledge, and we are competent, and, and we know all these things that we, we talk about. We know that we're supposed to be leaders in our home men, and we know that women, that we're supposed to live lives that reflect Jesus and not anything else. The question is, are you going to do it? Are you really going to, to live it out? Are you going to perform your priestly duty 
and point others to understand what God has for them. Because here's, here's the thing. We know too much. We are so full of knowledge. We sit back and we don't do anything with it. We know that we're supposed to tell people about Christ and about what He has done for us. and We sit back and we don't do anything about it. And my question over and over again is, when's the last time you, you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time that you let what you say is most important in your life on Sundays be most important on your life Mondays through Saturdays? When's the last time that you really shared that with someone? And, and nine times out of ten, people come to me and say, Well, Matt, all my friends are Christians. All my friends go to church. You know what I say to those people? Make new friends. Do you really think that when we get to heaven, God's going to look at us and go, Well, you know what? I know that the people that you're most comfortable with, the people in your inner circle, the people that you were around all the time, they were all Christians. And I guess those seven billion other people on the planet didn't matter. No. He's not going to do that. He's going to say, you're supposed to be a light to the world, not just to your little holy huddle, but to everybody. It's our responsibility to take all this stuff that we know, all these things that we're competent in being able to do, and to actually live it out. So the question this morning is, are we going to do it? Are we going to do it? Are we just going to continue to play at church? Paul wrote all this to be an encouragement. And I, I wanted, I set it out to be an encouragement this morning, but I was, I'm just tired of the game. I'm tired of, of people who know what's right and wrong and just choosing to do whatever they want to do and not do what God wants them to do. People who, who know that the life that they're living does not line up with what Scripture says, and they just say, oh, well, it's okay. I'm saved. It doesn't matter. I'll still get to go to heaven. It does matter. It matters incredibly. It's time to grow up. It's time to take all this head knowledge and really make it apply in our lives. It's time to take all this that we know to be true and let it begin to reflect in our lives. Not so that we can walk around and go, oh, look what I am and look how great I am. That's not what it is. It's not anything about that. It's about so that when, when it all comes down to it and God comes back or we, we go and meet Him, He can look at us and He can say, you know what, you did, you did what you were supposed to do. You lived what you knew you were supposed to live. And, and we'll hear those, you know, well done, right? We all want to hear that. But I just wonder... How many of us are going to hear, well, you knew a lot. I wish you would have done a little bit more. I wish you would have just really applied it. I wish you would have just lived it out because you could have influenced, so, you could have pointed so many more people in my direction. Too many of us are going to get to heaven and smell like smoke. Bob talks about those escaping the flames, right? We're going to smell like smoke. I'd rather, I'd rather show up in here well done.
Hey, this is Matt Overall I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small group starts at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.